0: Good morning Living Water. How's everyone doing today? Listen I know that it's a a season of change for us. We're getting ready to go back into the school um, season. I know that we have some students that are coming back into town. I saw some faces I hadn't seen all summer uh, last week and so we'll start seeing those guys trickle in and I know you're all getting ready to send those kids off to school. Parents you're like yes summer's over. Kids are back in school right? No. Kids are saying, hey, great, no more summer. No, they're not saying that either. But the reality is, is, it, is a, a, it is real for us today. We're all going through some little bit of a change, but it's always a good time. And I used to think whenever the kids were little that I couldn't wait till school was out so we could have the summer fun and things would slow down a little bit. The reality is, it just got a different kind of busy. Um, and then we get through the summertime, we're thinking, I just can't wait till we get some normalcy back in our life, get the kids back into school, into routine. And how many know it's just another different chapter of busy even now? So everybody's busy. And so I want to thank you for just taking an opportunity to come to church on the weekend to worship together. And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's hard to do just that. It's very important for us to gather for worship, for praise, but it's not always easy to get here. Sometimes it is a sacrifice of praise, right? So whatever reason they're here, if you're here because you want to, or you're here because your husband or wife dragged you here, or you're out of obligation, I'm glad you're here today. Um, and I'm glad you came uh, with the intention, hopefully, of hearing from God's Word. And so with that, I would ask, as David did, open to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and we're finishing up the series uh, that we started through the summer called The Moral of the Story. We've been looking at some of the real famous or most popular parables of Jesus. Jesus had a way of... Telling stories, he was a great storyteller, and the stories that he told had a huge impact. They were earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, where he revealed some of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Um, and so, today's parable is the first one recorded in the Gospels, um, but it is, I feel like, one of the most significant parables. That's why I chose to save it till the very last. The parable of the wise and the foolish builders. Maybe your pericope in your Bible says building on a solid foundation. Uh, But this is a very impactful um, parable, a very important one that I look at. And every time I read it, it's kind of one of those that makes me just stop and evaluate life and go, God, how am I doing with this? Um, And so with that, I would start with the parable of the wise and the foolish builders. But before we go into that story, I want to show you two pictures. Jesus was a great storyteller. And I think if he had had an iPhone with him when he was teaching, he might have pulled up some pictures just for effect. But the first one is a picture of a sandcastle on a beach. Now, I love, there's two places on the globe that I love to go to regularly. One of them's the mountains. I love going to the mountains, the cool mountain air. But I also love going to the beach. I just love the sound of the waves crashing against the shore. You can just smell the fresh water, the seagulls making their noise, the dolphins, you know, off out in the distance. I love it. And I can appreciate the talent, the patience, and the ability that somebody might Take and have to be able to build something quite that extravagant. It's pretty cool, isn't it? A sandcastle. While that might look beautiful, I know the reality is I would never do that. And the reason I, I wouldn't do that is because I have ADHD and I couldn't stay focused that long to do something that cool. But the, the other reason I wouldn't do that is because I would be really ticked off as soon as it's finished if it got destroyed. Because I like to look at what I've done and accomplished and be able to take it in. And I know that the first time it rains, that's gone, right? It don't have to be a big rain. That's going to be gone. Or if the tide rises, and it, the tide rises, right, it's going to come in. It's going to completely destroy that sand castle. So I know I'm probably never going to build one like that. The other picture is a pretty impressive one as well. This is from 2018. This is Mexico Beach, Florida. And this house was built by a lawyer and his uncle who live in Tennessee. Um, and they wanted to build a house on the beachfront property, but they wanted to be able to withstand the hurricane winds. 2018, Hurricane Michael goes through uh, Mexico Beach, Florida, 130 mile an hour winds, and this house stood, and and he said he was in Tennessee in his home watching on like webcams somewhere, just praying and freaking out, wondering if it was going to hold up and withstand the winds of the hurricane, and much to their surprise when they got down there and checked it out, everything was intact, and people today are saying that this is probably going to be a future plan for many other people who would like to build on the coast, Um, So that was an impressive picture there. But the reason that house stood is because he said in Florida they had these building codes. And when it came to the codes, they said, This is what is expected. They went 15 to 20% more in money and cost and everything to build that house in such a way that it would withstand the storm. 15 to 20% more than what the building code asked for. Um, They did one foot thick. Um, walls, concrete walls, like 12 inches thick on the walls. They went 40 feet deep in the pilings, you know those things that go down to the ground to get into the solid um, ground there and to build a good footing on, 40 feet deep below the surface that you don't see that they built on top of it. In addition to that, they had these thick steel cables that secured the roof. He talked about seeing the roof just move during the 130 mile an hour winds, but it stood firm. I think that's a pretty powerful picture of the damage that a storm can do all around it. All the other houses are leveled, but one stands. That's the visual that Jesus gives to the disciples as he's finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. He preached the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 7. It's in Luke chapter 6. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he presents to his listeners this personal application. In this personal application, he challenges his disciples to examine whether their discipleship was genuine or counterfeit. And if you've been paying attention to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been kind of calling out the counterfeit all along. He, he says, you've heard it said to do this, but I tell you do this. And what he's addressing was a, a lot of the Pharisees and the religious leaders in his time that had an outward appearance of godliness, but on the inside, they were all jacked up. So you have this beautiful picture of hypocrisy and what looks like genuine discipleship. And Jesus is presenting this challenge to them at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really about true and false Disciples those who obey those who do not so let's read that passage Luke chapter 6 verse 46. It says why do you keep calling me? Lord Lord when you don't do what I say I Will show you what it's like when someone comes to me listens to my teaching and then follows it It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock when the floodwaters rise and break against the house it stands firm because it is well-built But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I know by human nature we are inclined to close our ears, to not listen. But I pray right now that you would open our eyes, open our ears, that we would behold the truth from your word. Would you speak to us today in a way that only you can Father, I humble myself before you as just a speaker. Lord, use me today to um, present your truth, and I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, Jesus is telling this parable, the first parable recorded in the Gospels, but a very, very powerful parable. And I think you could break this down to um, he asks a personal question to the disciples, followed by this powerful illustration of a wise and a foolish builder, um, then with this piercing application where he shows what the key, if you will, to this parable is. And I think there's some truths that we can pull out of this parable as well. So let's start with the first one. The first sentence, the one that I said when I read it, it always makes me introspectively look at my life and go, wow, I so don't measure up. Does anybody else ever feel that way as a Christian, as a follower of Christ? Here's the question Jesus is asking to his listeners, a personal question. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Now, the significance of the word Lord, Lord means curiosity, and it means master. It's somebody's in control, someone who calls the shots. But in Hebrew language, when you use the name twice, and it's throughout Scripture, Moses, Moses, Saul, Saul, whenever you see the word repeated twice, it's a Hebrew term, if you will, of intimacy. It's somebody that knows somebody. Like, hey, we're not just acquaintances, but I know you. And it's someone that's saying, hey, Lord, Lord, like, you, we're tight, right, Jesus? we're tight i've been listening to you i'm a disciple lord lord he says why do you call me lord lord master but you don't do what i say now we don't use the word lord today but we might just use this illustration as boss imagine for a moment you have a boss and the boss is the one that calls the shots he's the one that writes the checks at the end of the week when you're working right and and maybe you've got a great boss and you're like i love my boss you're talking you up to everybody else my boss is so cool he gives me days off just randomly If I'm having a bad day, my boss comes up to me and says, Hey, I know you're having a bad day, and he encourages you. Man, I have this amazing boss. Wouldn't that be great? Everybody's like, Yeah, I I wish I had that boss. But you have this boss, and and the boss says, Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to leave for some business, but while I'm gone, I want you to stock these shelves, or I want you to do this task. And he goes off about his business, and then when he leaves, you do anything but what he asks you to do. And later on, he comes back. I mean, this is an amazing boss. You've been talking up. You've been bragging. He's doing all these great things for you. And you just love your boss. But he comes back and he says, hey, I asked you to do something and you didn't do it. Um, You keep using that term, but I don't think you understand what it means. You say boss, boss, but you don't do what I say. It's to say that you don't understand the implications of that word. You call me, Jesus says, Lord, which is to insinuate I'm in control. I'm the master, but you're not doing what I say. Do you see the problem there? So he starts with this personal question, saying, "Listen, you say Lord, but you're not applying what you're hearing. You're not doing what I say in there." So he's pulling out hypocrisy versus genuine discipleship in believers. I wonder sometimes if Jesus were to show up to us, forget the second part, and he just says, "Hey, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord? If you were to ask you that, why do you, why do you call him Lord?" And I can think of a hundred reasons why he's, his ways are not my ways, right? He's omniscient. He knows all things. I don't know all things, and so he's the one that's in control. I trust him, right? What if he's ashamed? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Now, that is a convicting question, isn't it? As I was preparing this, I was just conflicted. I'm like, man, I'm the least worthy person to stand on the stage and talk about anything from the Bible because I know me better than anybody knows me except God and maybe my wife. But the reality is is we all fall short, don't we? Has anybody in the room got it perfectly figured out? I don't. And so he begins with this personal question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Now, in Matthew's account of this story, right before he gets into this parable of the wise and foolish builders, he says this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prof- prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And then he goes into that same parable, of the wise and the foolish builders. So he begins with this personal question. Why do you call me Lord but you don't do what I say? And then he goes into this very powerful illustration. And I think there's three truths that we can get from this illustration. He first starts with this image of two builders, wise and foolish builders, one who builds his house on the rock, one who builds his house on the sand. In fact, I've been doing weddings for 20 years and every wedding ceremony I use this parable because I think it's so powerful. When you consider the word of God and what we do with the word of God, he talks about these two builders, one builds on a foundation of rock and the other one on a foundation of sand and the The outcome is the storm comes and it demolishes one while the other one withstands the storm. So here's three important truths I think we need to know uh, in this. Number one is everyone is building their life on something. Do you agree with that statement? Every one of us, you may not consider it that way, but think about it. You have a moral compass. You have a set of guidelines or principles that you just operate from. Maybe it's a Christian worldview. Maybe it's a cultural worldview. But everybody that's breathing is building on something. The question is, when the storm comes, will whatever it is that you're building on, sustain the storm. The only foundation that will sustain any kind of storm is Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. You, you can build your life on philosophy, on Buddhism, on Hinduism, or whatever you want to, but the only foundation that stands at the end when Christ comes and the ultimate storm of God's judgment tests the foundation, the only foundation that will stand secure is Jesus and Jesus alone. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says it this way. He says, for no one can lay any other foundation than the one that's already laid, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the life, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other foundation worthy of building your life on than the foundation of Jesus Christ. I hope you get that. Because one day, if you carry this out just beyond life that we're living today, and you get to the end of life, and we know that one day all of us will stand and give an account to God, and that's a very sobering thought to think about. One day we stand before the one who made us, who created us, and we stand before him to give an account and he says something like, why should I let you into my heaven? You know, or whatever he's going to say, but we, we're accountable to him in the end. And if you consider that, and when he casts his judgment on all humanity, those who've placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is like the wise man that built his house on a solid foundation of stone, and they will stand underneath the storm of his judgment. That's why you hear us say all the time the most important decision we can make in this life is what do we do with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Right? It's to build our lives on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That foundation stands when the storms come. The only foundation that stands is Jesus. So another truth is this, and and I think some of us, I think we know this, but in this life, storms will. Say will. Okay, in this life, storms will come. Uh, Sometimes we think, well, you know, if if I just have enough faith, And and I've heard this. I've heard this preached. If you just have enough faith and you do all the right things and you won't experience some of the hardships that other people experience. The reality is Jesus himself in the Gospel of John said, hey, I've told you these things so, so that you could have peace in me. In this world, you'll have many sorrows and trials. But take heart, I've overcome the world. The reality is someone is either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or they're currently in the middle of a storm. In this life, storms will come. Now, what's interesting to me is just doing life, and when the storm's come, have you ever noticed that some people weather the storm better than others? You see some people who have a storm come into their life, and it's just like everything just crumbles and falls, like that sandcastle. It's like everything is just crumbling down around them. They're like their life is in shambles and they're freaking out. And then on the the other side of that, you see someone whose life is built on the foundation of God's word and maybe standing on the promises or they're anchored in the promises of God and his word. And they just seem to weather the storm better than others. Have you seen that before? Last week, we had a a guest preacher here, um, Brother David Kaya from South Sudan, Africa. And he told the story of a mom who he went to comfort because her two boys had been murdered just a a day or two earlier, right? And he went to comfort her, and he says, I'm crying. She's not crying. She just says, Pastor David, I'm tired. But she says, you've prepared me for this very event because you've taught me the word. There's some truth in God's word having the power to sustain us in the storms of life. Would you agree with that statement? It's like we, we truly believe what he says, that, hey, I'm with you, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and we stand on the promises of his word, and when we encounter a storm in life, and we will encounter the storms in life, we're just able to stand up against the storms of this life, and so it is wise for us to build on the solid foundation of his word. A third truth that I would say is the only secure and stable foundation is God's word. Um, You know, when I'm doing a A wedding, I talk about building your life on the building this marriage on the rock, and I talk about the relationship with Christ, but also the foundation of the Word of God. How many know everything we need to know about life as it relates to God and other people is found right here in this book? It's a pretty powerful book, isn't it? it? Has the ability to change lives. In it, God reveals his love for humanity, our condition with sin and the remedy for that sin, how we're made right with him, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to show us what it looks like to live as a disciple of Christ, as a genuine disciple of Christ. I love the word of God. It's a very powerful, powerful word. And it's the only secure and stable foundation, I believe, for us to build our life on is the word of of God. But here's the problem that I see and I struggle with personally, and probably you do as well, is the application of the Word of God. See, it's not what we know about the Word that matters, but it's what we do with it that matters. You've heard me say before that unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. You know, Sherwin-Williams has a, a lot of cool paint colors and selections, paint and buckets, but it doesn't do any good on the house until you take it out and apply it to The house that you're painting, right? And the same thing is true with the word of God. We can know it. We can go to every Bible study ever invented. And we've got a plethora of ways to get Bible study and information into us now with media and all these different groups that you want to go to. But it doesn't matter what we know. It's what we do with what we know that matters. It's the application of his word, right? Are you with me, church? So the key to this whole, or the moral of the story, if you will, to this whole parable of the wise and the foolish builders, one who builds his house on the solid foundation, one on the sand, is the difference between genuine discipleship and false discipleship, or the the fakes, the ones that were the hypocrites. And he says it this way, the wise one is the one that listened to the teachings and did them. The the word there is do. That's a, a verb. He says, those who listen to these teachings of mine and follow them. Those are like the wise person. I noticed this week in the Hebrew study, looking at the original language, do you know that in all of the Old Testament, there's not a word different um, for the word obey in Scripture? So every time you look at the word obey in our English translation and look at the Hebrew um, word, the original word is Shema. And if you know what Shema is, it's Deuteronomy 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? Shema is translated to listen. So it's the very first word of that. Deuteronomy 6 passage, listen, shema. But when you look up the word obey in the Old Testament, it also is shema. So the idea we get is listen with the intent of doing, right? They're together. So he says, listen, Israel, Hear, obey what I'm teaching you today. The Lord God is one. And so he says, why do you call me Lord, which implies I'm the master, and if I'm Lord, then you should obey me. That is a genuine disciple as someone who listens to the words, and applies those words. The key to the whole parable is obedience. So the question is, what kind of life are you building, or what are you building on? And I would say this submission to Jesus Christ as Lord is a non-negotiable element of true salvation. Let me say that again. I think that submission to Jesus Christ as Lord is a non-negotiable element of true salvation. When we truly come to him in faith, we recognize our need for salvation, and we trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he does for us, we realize that he is now Savior but also Lord. And we say, Lord, your ways are higher. You know what's best for me, and I yield to you, and I want to do what you call me to do. I want to be obedient to that. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord of our lives. We're cool with him being Savior. And benefactor, I mean, he blesses me, he hooks me up, he knows how to encourage me when I'm down, he gives me that extra day off when I need it, you know what I mean, that boss illustration. My Jesus is a great Jesus, and my, my Jesus would never, no, no, we don't get our own personal Jesus. Jesus calls us to a life of obedience as well. In fact, in John chapter 14, he said, those who love me obey me. In verse 24, the same chapter, he says, those who do not love me don't obey me. And so if we love him, he says, it's going to be followed with obedience. And I would be honest to say that sometimes the obedience is the hard part. Just here's a personal confession. I'll I'll give you the quick version. But a few weeks ago, we moved my daughter and her husband to the Dallas area. And we were hauling the last trailer load of their stuff down there. Now, for those of you that know, every Sunday morning for about 20 years now, I wake up at 3 a.m. It's just a great time to get alone and get my thoughts and get quiet before God. And so this particular Sunday, I'm up at 3, come to church, preach twice, And then go home and load up a trailer and drive to Dallas, through Dallas, with a trailer. All right? I'm stressed, okay? And I'm tired. Unload in the hot sun with the humidity, and we finally get to go sit down in a nice restaurant and eat some dinner about 7 o'clock. Invited Ed and Renee O'Brien, some good friends of mine in the area. And so we're sitting there, a big party, eating our meal. And next to us at a table was a couple of families uh, that were also eating, and they brought a bunch of kids with them. And they were like somewhere from 6 to 12 years of age and they were rowdy and I'm sitting there just chilling and no big deal but as it went on they just got louder and louder and I'm thinking I'm stressing out these guys are wearing me out would you please call your kids down because somebody's fixing to say something I don't want to be me I'm the preacher that wouldn't be cool (laughs) so anyways um the dad and the group finally says hey you guys go outside and play great please let them go outside and play well the door was behind my chair so they're in and out, in and out, in and out, and I'm stressing, I'm stressing, it's building, it's building, and, and they're, straight, they're loud, and they're just crazy. Anyways, and finally we, we eat our meal, we pay out, and I'm like, I'm ready to go lay down somewhere and die for a couple of days, I'm tired and stressed. And one of these kids, I don't know who it was, came up behind me and screamed in my ear. Just this fun kid thing, scream. Before I could remember that I was a pastor, I stood up and turned around and went, Hey! Now I don't know what it looked like to a 12-year-old looking up at a bearded man that looked like he was very irritated, but it got their attention, and not only theirs, it got a lot of people's attention in the restaurant. I didn't say you guys are idiots, your kids are idiots. I didn't do anything. Like that. I just said, "Hey, it hurt my ear. I'm done. I got to go outside," and it bothered me so bad. I was like, you know, God. I kind of missed an opportunity there, and I didn't handle that the right way. I felt so bad about that that I was apologizing to all the guests, right? Hey, man, I'm sorry. I didn't handle that right. I'm tired. You make the excuses. I'm tired. Kids were crazy, man. And you just, I don't know what happened. But I just said, hey. The reality is if that happens to me as a pastor, how many of you could be honest today and say, hey, same. It's usually in traffic or in line at Walmart with no checkers but they want to check your receipt on the way out because they don't trust you to do it yourself. You know, that stuff. I mean, we can all agree that the obedience is the hard part, right? And I'll be the first to admit that I don't always get that right, and that's where I get convicted at. I'm like, God, I fall so short. I don't deserve to be in the position I'm at or to be up on the stage and teaching your work. God, I feel like I'm the most unworthy of all of them, but I'm always comforted and reminded of 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. And he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. But there's this desire to say, Lord, you're Lord, and I want to do what you call me to do. Amen? And maybe for some of you here today, you're like, hey, this is a new season, a new chapter, an opportunity to begin again. And we go through seasons where we just go through the motions and we're just doing church, or maybe we're opening a Bible or going to a Bible study out of obligation, or we pray because we're told we need to pray, and we're just finding ourselves going through the motions. Maybe this is an opportunity for us just to evaluate that and say, God, I just feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing out of obligation, and I repent of that. I want, to, I want you to have my heart, and I want to be able to genuinely say, you're Lord, Lord. And, and by doing that, it implies that I'm going to do what you say. And so, Lord, if there's things that I've been doing that I know are not right, The definition of a fool in this parable is someone who knows what to do and doesn't do it. And so he's saying, hey, I've given you my word. Here's the word. And those who listen to this and put it into practice are like the wise who build the house on a solid foundation. So the question is, what kind of foundation are you building on today? The good news is, is he is gracious. He's forgiving. His mercy is new every morning. And no matter how bad you feel like you've blown it, we can come to him and say, hey, God, I, I admit I'm not being genuine in my walk with you right now, and I repent of that, Lord, I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to, it may mean turning loose of some of those pet sins that we hold on to, that we think nobody else knows about, but God knows those. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, and I just got to be honest with you, one day at the end of this life, we'll all stand before him, it says um, for the, it says uh, the wages of sin is death, and after this, the judgment, we'll all stand before God in judgment, and when we do the storm of his judgment will fall. And those who've placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we don't, we don't believe it's by works. We would never be able to work enough to be able to earn it or obtain it. But it's by God's grace that we're saved. And those who've placed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ will be able to stand that storm in that day. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? The most important decision you can make is placing your faith in the gospel. Christian, what is God calling you to do today? Or how do you respond today? Do you see yourself in the crowd as he says, hey, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Father, I have to admit that that verse right there is probably the most compelling to me, is why do we call you Lord, Lord? We understand that you save us from our sins when we confess you as Lord. We understand what it means to be lord, it means to be master, it means to be the one in control, the one that calls the shots. And Lord, we're not we're not the ones calling the shots, but we live our lives as though we do. And I wonder sometimes, God, if we don't display a level of hypocrisy by putting on the smile and playing the game and going through the motions, but you, Lord, look beyond the surface and you look at what's inside. You see the foundation. Foundations hidden from everyone. And the reality is is the, the nature of the foundation is is shown or revealed by the storms of life. And Lord, I, I pray that everyone in this room has placed their faith in you and the gospel. But Lord, just as it comes to a practical living, I, I hope that every one of us can realize that there's power in your word. And that when you give us these words, they're not just to entertain us or give us some cool stories, but they're for life change. And when we put these words into practice, it's like building, it's like digging deep to the bedrock. And building our homes on a solid foundation that will stand throughout whatever storms of life may come our way. That's why I said I think this is the most significant of the parables is because it's the obedience that's the hardest part. So God, would you give us a submissive spirit to you, an obedient bent toward your word to say, Lord, I know that obedience is sometimes difficult to do. It's easier just to go with the flesh. Lord, we know when we do that we just create more problems and I pray that you just give us a submissive spirit today to say, Lord, where you lead me, I will follow. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And it goes on to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, help us to realize that genuine discipleship equals obedience. And Father, that we just take a step towards obedience today. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.